0: And welcome to a special episode of the Herbert Smith Freehills Asia Competition Law Podcast Series, Unbundling Competition. Today, we're very happy to be presenting together with our good friends at Anderson, Mori and Tomotsune, or AMT, which is one of Japan's leading law firms. My name is Joel Rubin. I am a competition law specialist in the Tokyo office of Herbert Smith Freehills. And I'm joined today by Yoichi Kaneko, who is a partner specializing in M&A and competition law. So thank you very much for joining us today, Kaneko-sensei. On this episode, we'll be discussing a topic that is becoming increasingly relevant, both in Japan and elsewhere, which is increasing complexity in determining when transactions can be subject to regulatory review. Until relatively recently, competition-related merger control thresholds in the majority of jurisdictions worldwide were relatively objective. Some thresholds were and and still are quite wide. There are a handful of jurisdictions that capture completely offshore joint ventures, for example. But it was at least possible to objectively determine whether the thresholds had been met and therefore whether a filing was required. Some countries have also had foreign direct investment review in parallel with merger control until now. And these systems tend to be a little bit more opaque, but they've at least traditionally been limited to sectors that are very clearly security related or else to very high transaction, high-value transactions in the case of countries like Australia and Canada. In the last couple of years, however, we've seen this objectivity and this certainty slowly reduce in a number of countries, both on the merger control side and on the FDI side. Kaneko-sensei, perhaps you could start off by introducing yourself and your practice, uh, and by giving us an overview of the rules uh, as they were traditionally in Japan.
1: Thank you for introduction, Joe. I'm George Kaneko, a partner at MT, supporting domestic and foreign clients on M&A transaction and investment and a broad range of corporate matters. What makes me unique as an M&A lawyer is that, in addition to legal support on the deals perspective, I'm also frequently advising on regulatory aspects of M&A and investment, certainly including the margin control and foreign direct investment regulation. As for the rules in Japan, in terms of merger control, the traditional position has been, as you described, objective turnover-based thresholds. The thresholds vary slightly depending on the type of transaction, but generally the target business must achieve a certain level of turnover in Japan. So acquirers could be reasonably certain that if the target business presence in Japan was small, no mandatory filing would be required. It is worth noting that the Japan Fair Trade Commission, or JFTC, has always had the power to carry out ex officio reviews of transactions where it has competition concerns. For instance, in 2019, the JFTC investigated the acquisition of Nihon OutMark, which operates a medical information database business, by a pharmaceutical information platform provider called M3. The investigation commenced after the closing of transaction. The investigation ended up with behavioral remedy, including continuing supply of Nihong artmark's medical information to its competitors
0: and How about foreign direct investment or FDI review what's happened there
1: so Japan has traditionally been relatively open to and encouraged foreign investment and has tended not to review foreign investment overly intensively. The general requirement for foreign investors is to file simple forms of post-closing report. Pre-closing notification was required in certain cases but only for certain sensitive
0: designated sectors. And, and what has now changed?
1: First of all, in relation to merger control, the JFTC has followed the lead of some other competition authorities in trying to review so-called killer acquisitions. These are transactions in sectors such as the tech or pharmaceutical sector, where a larger competitor might purchase a much smaller startup. Not because of any potential synergies, but just to prevent the startup from becoming a competitive threat. Unlike in some other countries, such as Germany or now Korea, the JFTC is doing so not by creating new mandatory filing thresholds, but flew amendments to the JFTC's guidelines on merger review, which it published in December 2019. The guidelines set out when the JFTC is more likely to use its ex-officio review powers to review transactions that fall below the usual mandatory filing
0: thresholds. So for transactions that are below the mandatory filing thresholds, parties can file voluntarily, which they've always been able to do, but if they don't make a voluntary filing, then they run the risk of an ex-officio review. Is that right? How do parties know when they should or should not be making a filing?
1: That's right, your understanding is correct. The amendments to the merger guidelines state that the parties are recommended to consult with the JFTC when they are carrying out large transactions with a potential impact on the Japanese market. These are outlined as transactions with a deal value of more than 40 billion Japanese yen, which is about 350 million US dollars, where the proposed transaction possibly affect the local customers. More concretely, for the voluntary consultation is recommended when the target either has business or R&D operations in Japan. Market products or services to Japanese customers, or else has turnover in Japan about 100 million Japanese yen, which is just under 1 million US dollars. This means that the local nexus requirement can be recognized relatively easily, and this may suggest that the JFTC intends to more actively exercise its ex officio review power than before. The JFTC has already reviewed several transactions not meeting the mandatory filing threshold. This includes some foreign to foreign transactions, such as Google's acquisition of Fitbit. Indeed, in the Google Fitbit case, the jftc carried out a detailed review of the transaction and imposed various conditions or behavioral remedies, even though Fitbit's turnover in Japan was relatively modest.
0: So this actually sounds quite similar to the situation in the European Union right now. Um, The European Commission and and several EU member states have also been considering this question that you mentioned of how to tackle so-called killer acquisitions. And at the EU level, the solution that has been settled on is to increase the use of so-called Article 22 referrals. So this refers to Article 22 of the EU merger regulation, And this article of the EU merger regulation allows EU member states to refer or request that the European Commission review transactions, uh, even when the thresholds for a mandatory filing have not been met. So like in Japan, this is a power that has always existed. This has always been theoretically possible, uh, but it was rarely used until now. The Commission has said, however, that it's expecting a lot more referrals to be made going forward. And indeed, we've seen already quite a few significant transactions that have been reviewed by the Commission on this basis. The Commission has published some guidance on when transactions should be referred under Article 22. And somewhat controversially, this guidance makes clear that transactions can be referred even when the referring member states thresholds are not met either. So a transaction can be transferred where the thresholds are neither met at EU level nor at member state level. And so as a result of that, there are no really clear quantifiable rules for when transactions may be subject to review. It really just requires a substantive assessment as to whether the impact on competition is such that the European Commission is likely to take an interest. Um, We've seen this arising as a a potential issue already in relation to Illumina's acquisition of Grail. This has been subject to a phase two review, um, and that's despite the fact that the Thresholds were not met either at EU level or or at any member state. Illumina is currently challenging the Commission's jurisdiction to review that transaction. So we'll see if this challenge results in any further clarity uh, as to when the European Commission can review a transaction under that Article 22 referral power. Conical Sensei, you also mentioned FDI earlier. Uh, What what has changed here in, in respect of FDI?
1: Sure. Under the Foreign
0: Exchange and Foreign
1: Trade Act in Japan, or the FEFTA, in general, a foreign investor would be required to submit an ex-post-fact report on the investment into Japan. The recent amendment of the FEFTA, however, provided longer list of the designated business sectors requiring prior notification. The list now covers not only traditional national security business sectors, like energy sectors or broadcasting and telecommunications, but also includes a broader range of tech or IT businesses. For instance, the software manufacturing, information processing, and services ancillary to internet services. Even certain types of activities, such as exercising voting rights in relation to important business matters of the target can trigger prior notification requirements, even when there is no change in shareholding. At the same time, in order to retain the balance between the screening and encouraging the investment, the amendments to the FEFDA introduced a new exemption regime to the prior notification requirement. The application of such exemption varies among public company and privately held company, the type of designated business sectors engaged by the target and so on. So it requires very complex and technical analysis when considering the application of exemption. So uh, Joe, what about the situation in Europe?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, I mean, the, the number of FDI regimes around the world uh, has obviously been growing over the last couple of years, but that's particularly the case uh, in the EU. Uh, and that's partly as a result of the, the new EU regulation on the screening of foreign direct investments, which uh, we at Herbert Smith Freehills discussed on a podcast last year. Uh, several EU member states are looking at introducing FDI screening regimes for the first time. And those member states with existing regimes such as Germany and France have been progressively strengthening them and and widening the scope of their application. So I think it's fair to say that parties need to consider the possibility of FDI filings in many more transactions than ever before. They may also find themselves in a situation where they have uh, a competition related filing at EU level or no filings at all, but they still need to consider the need for FDI filings at a country-by-country country level within Europe. So, as you say, it's, it's increasingly complex. Outside of the EU, but still in Europe, it's worth noting that the new UK National Security and Investment, or NSI Act, uh, very recently came into a force. And unlike the competition filing rules in, in the UK, the NSI Act requires mandatory and suspensory filings for certain types of transactions in sensitive sectors. Uh, However, the relevant Secretary of State also has very wide discretion to carry out ex-officio reviews or to so-called call in uh, a range of transactions that fall outside of that mandatory notification scope. And the Secretary of State will be able to do so in some cases up to five years after a transaction has completed. The UK government has provided guidance on when it is more or less likely to call in transactions. However, we're nevertheless expecting a very large number of voluntary filings by parties that want to avoid the risk of a later call-in. And I should note that very similar developments have also occurred outside of Europe in Australia, uh, with recent amendments to the Foreign Acquisitions and and Takeover Act in, in Australia. So just to summarize, both in Japan and elsewhere, we have a position now where more filings are required than ever before, whether that's competition or FDI-related filings. And authorities have increasingly wide powers to review transactions, even where no mandatory filings are triggered. And while in some cases there is guidance on when authorities will use these powers, It's not always clear, and a lot is obviously going to need to be worked out as these new rules develop over time. So Kaneko-sensei, in in light of this, what should companies be thinking about when carrying out transactions?
1: Well, I think that the recent and trend around marginal control and FDI regulation could cast a substantial impact on deal dynamics. Purchasers or investors should look to engage early with sellers on the potential need for filings. Purchasers may need to carry out more solo due diligence into the target to understand its business activities in every country. For larger deals, the purchaser should also look carefully at the target's business activities in Japan, given that the JFTC's guidelines in- indicate that. It may review deals even where the target's turnover in Japan is less than one million US dollars. Also, in relation to FDI filings, purchasers need to rely on the disclosure from the seller and target as to whether the target is engaged in a designated business sector. Sellers may be reluctant to provide conditions precedent for voluntary filings unless there is a clear risk that transaction could be subject to ex officio review of the GFTC. So this may be discussed throughout the negotiation. Of course, all of this flows up additional challenges in the case of competitive bids, where timing may be tight, opportunities for due diligence limited, and where bidders may be reluctant to request too many conditions present. This may mean that the parties should involve regulatory law specialists at an earlier stage of the transaction than before. It is possible to consult with the regulators to confirm whether they are likely to take interest in a transaction, and this may help assess the risks of not making voluntary filings. But still, the parties may need a certain amount of information from the seller to establish arguments as to whether the proposed transaction should not, for example, require ex-officio review by the JFTC.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's definitely true, and and everything that you've said, I think, applies just as much outside of Japan uh, as it does to, to deals that have an impact in Japan. And another point I would add to that is that for really major transactions, parties may want to think about hiring government relations advisors in addition to lawyers, Uh, to assist with messaging to regulators uh, and government ministers, particularly where there is quite wide discretion on the part of of ministers in, for example, the UK or or Australia. Uh, I know that hiring government relations advisors is still relatively rare in Japan for uh, transactions, but it is becoming much more common elsewhere in the world. So thank you very much, Kaneko-sensei, for joining us today. Uh, I think you've given companies both in and outside of Japan a a lot to think about when carrying out deal planning. I'd like to also thank everybody listening. A reminder that you can find more episodes of the Unbundling Competition podcast on the Herbert Smith Freehills website, as well as on podcast platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Kaneko-sensei, where can listeners find out more about merger control and FDI review in Japan? or other legal updates from Anderson, Mori, and Tomotsune.
2: Thank you, Joel. Anderson, Mori, Tomotsune, AMT, publishes the firm newsletter covering a broad range of legal areas, including M&A, corporate law, and competition law. The previous newsletters can be found in our firm website. Also, I have presented the lectures and publications, especially in M&A and investment area. For instance, you can further find the web articles related to the latest trends in the merger control and the FDI regulation from my introduction page at AMT's website or George Kaneko's LinkedIn page. MT has received the honorable recognition as a leading law firm in Japan, and the friendship with Herbert Smith Freehills is no doubt important for MT to support broader clients all over the world. Again, I feel honored to join uh, this podcast today. Thank you.